The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Labour Senator Annie Hoy and Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castles, both of whom are members of the Oireachtas Media Committee and were also joined by Kevin Doyle, Group Head of News at Media House and Executive Editor of the Irish Independent. Thank you one and all for making the effort to trudge through the snow <laughs> I hope you really appreciate it. <laughs> it's not easy out there. We're all looking a bit miserable here. Is it when? really that bad? Because I, I was in before it started. Yes, yeah, I think it seemed to come at after 7 o'clock and yeah. it is chaotic out and I can only speak for Dublin City but it is chaotic out there There's, I just walked up by Trinity College and there is about two or three inches of compacted ice it is lethal um, on okay. some of the footpaths out there and the roads are just in muck at this stage yeah. Yeah, and we're told that the temperatures will rise shortly and uh, it'll all be washed away. It'll just be a bad memory <laughs> by tea time, so they say. So um, I, I must ask you both about the, the uh, committee and how you fared. How did you do? How did you feel you did? I think, Pat, I suppose this, this time last week, we, 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 we didn't have actually a committee meeting scheduled uh, for this week. And I suppose it's regrettable how the last week has, has panned out the last eight days. Nobody wanted... Um, another scenario of what has become a sideshow of the substantive issue in relation to the governance issues in RTE. So I think that's, that's to be said. Uh, nobody wanted this. Obviously, when it did happen, when you have uh, a chair of such uh, a huge institution in Ireland as RTE uh, leaving, uh, and in the circumstances that it happened, you know, naturally, the minister was going to be called in to discuss that and the events that uh, led up to it and give her perspective as well. Because, you know, it... it I think everyone can agree it wasn't it wasn't the desired way in which you think business should be done. Okay, that's that's just being frank about it. And I suppose the minister coming before the committee gave her perspective as to how things transpired last Thursday and the back and forth between her officials and Shuna Rahlig in respect of um, her not wanting to have that meeting uh, last Friday. And in particular, in terms of what had transpired in the meetings last Monday and Wednesday as well, where Catherine Martin said that she received information that wasn't correct and, and led her to down this particular path. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll talk to Kevin for his analysis in a moment. But uh, Annie, to you, watching the proceedings of the committee unfold, I think that's you know very interesting and uh, some vital information was elicited. Uh, the timeline of who knew what and who said what, I'll come to with Kevin in a moment. But then you do your business... And, you know, having put Kevin Backhurst and Shuni Rally through the Star Chamber uh, process, both in the PAC and the Media Committee, about why such large settlements were given to RT executives that they wanted to get rid of. And lo and behold, the HSE gives almost 400 grand to an executive for exactly the same reasons. They wanted him out. He had no uh, purpose. He was no fault. He hadn't done anything wrong. Same, you might argue, about Richard Collins and, you know, everyone... Uh, was kind of gung-ho about Toy Show the Musical, but uh, Rory Coveney fell on his sword and in so doing got a settlement. Lo and behold, it turns out that the Department of Health, the Minister, actually sit over these things probably routinely, these large settlements. I, I, I mean, are there any red faces at all in the body politic about this? Well, maybe I'm thinking we're in the wrong gig uh, if these are the, the Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. Like you, give the, you, you knock people around the place metaphorically, slap them here, slap them there, and then it turns out that government does exactly the same thing. Yeah, it does. It raises questions, I think. Um, if, if, if this is par for the course, then um, I think the, the concern people had was more the, the timelines within these things and people in the powers that be and, and the minister. Who no, but was Backhurst said very clearly, look, when you're restructuring and you have to get rid of people, 
you go into negotiation, you reach a settlement and they go and they don't argue. They just go, they take the money, they run and it's all smooth and I can get on my restructuring. That's what the HSE are doing, you know, same thing. Yeah, and I, well, I think the, the, the question was that the minister was saying that she didn't know about these things. And if, if these are par for the course, why do people... Do you know what I mean? The, 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 I think the palaver came about as to people saying they didn't know what was happening. Uh, people who, it seems, should have known what was happening. Um, and if you're the minister overseeing something like this, and if it is par for the course, why did you not know it was happening? And then why did you end up going down the route that you did, which was a, a summary dismissal live right. on air? So what is, from your perspective, is it not slightly even embarrassing to the politicians to find out that this sort of stuff happens even within government? No, and what, what has come out since, um, Pat, in respect of the RTE situation and the, the work of the committee is that the minister now is seeking for, one, those uh, any kind of payments of those nature uh, to be the exception, not the norm. Two, that they would be capped and three, that they would actually be open. So there has been a benefit to the process that's been involved. And of course, what was at play here was the actual not following the processes, not necessarily the substantive issue of whether someone got the payout or not, but the processes involved in that. And then what irked people as well. And, you know, that's a fair point. Kevin Backhurst wanted a restructure, so he settled to get someone out. But the issue at play there was this was not just any old rigmarole. This was a scenario where there was a failure and a loss to the RT, which is effectively the taxpayer, of over €2 million. Euro. And that's what was at play here as well in terms of the context of this debate and whether someone should get a payout or not for being uh, shown the side door. When, by the way, they, they effectively just uh, resign themselves. I think that's, that was the substantial matter. How will they resign? Because they're told, exactly. listen, you have so, no future here, but, Sunshine. Do you want to settle... Bring your lawyers in. We'll talk to your lawyers. Well, that wasn't made clear the door, at the time. Go. And I think that's what really irked people. It, it, it seems, though, the politicians don't live in the real world. If they don't know this happens in banks, in big organisations everywhere, when you've got a, you know, someone who's basically has no function or maybe has no real job. And there are people like that in many organisations. And if you want to get rid of them, they haven't offended. They haven't committed any crime. They haven't done anything wrong, but they've no job. To get rid of them, you pay them off and you recoup the money lost over, you know, a couple of years of them not working there. Well, if, if, you know, like the, the, as, as Shane said, it's the, the process of around all of this, like this is in the middle of what is being an ongoing saga. You know, this isn't something, you know, like there seems there was no clarity around it. And my big thing was that the minister herself seemed to be somewhat stumped about the situation. Oh. And if the minister's stumped about something, that's obviously going to send confusion and panic through the so situation. Kevin, what do you make of it? Well, the first thing is there is sometimes an attitude in business that if you have a problem and your problem can be solved by money, then you don't have a, and you have money, then you don't have a problem because um, yeah. you throw money at the problem and it goes away. Um, and obviously that works in the real world. It's slightly different when you're making an argument to get people to pay TV license fees, to pay their, their tax dollar and all the rest of it. So it is the idea that taxpayers money is nobody's money doesn't really translate. If, if they paid them off from the barter account. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No one would know where it came from. <laughs> the difference. Yeah, oh, yeah. Free tickets to musicals or something for life. But I, I think the the whole episode we've seen over the last week, and I try not, Pat, to be... Uh, there are journalists who do the... The minister is always wrong because ministers are generally damned if they do and damned mm-hmm. if they don't. So anytime a minister makes a mistake, um, they will have some... Or makes a, makes a decision they will have somebody criticising them. And if they don't make a decision, they'll have somebody criticising them for them not making a decision. But I do think that in this instance, Catherine Martin, in her narrative that she has presented, um, 
exposed a huge amount of naivety of herself and perhaps within her department because this idea that she she effectively leaked the story to RTE out They in didn't time. know, it they, appears, this is your information anyway, yeah. they didn't know when she arrived for her interview at primetime, went down to makeup, whatever, they didn't know that this question mark over Shuni Rahla not telling her or misleading her in some way, they didn't know that. Yeah, no, and, and I mean, I, her timeline that Catherine Martin gave, from my understanding of events, um, does stack up in terms of, I, I know for a fact, because myself and Fiona Sheehan, who I know you've talked about this a lot with Pat, we're discussing this at between half eight and nine o'clock on that evening. And he had sent in queries in relation to this row. We didn't know the full context of the row, but we knew something had taken place. So her timeline fits. But how that lands you into a situation where you then tip off RTE, you plant the question and you don't see the follow up question. None of that makes sense to me still, even after the three and a half hours that Catherine Martin did before the meeting. So either she did want to throw Shuni Rahla under the bus or she is so naive that she didn't realise that she was going to do that by tipping off RT off to the mm. row that was brewing. Was she miffed, do you think, that uh, Shuni Rahla said, I, I will not receive a letter now? You, you can't not receive a letter in truth. No. Letters delivered. And presumably the letter is actually it, an email, <laughs> you, you'd yeah. imagine. Uh, yeah. So, and uh, I, I presume that her emails would be opened by her staff. Yeah, you know her business emails, uh, her personal emails, are her own business. So, uh, so it would have been received and read. Oh, I think it's very obvious that there was a breakdown in the relationship mm-hmm. at this stage. You know, words like confidence aside, they're very business words. They're the kind of words where you're, you're you're sacking someone when you get into confidence. But it's clear that the personal relationship by that stage had actually fallen apart. Um, and I think that's probably more important than the confidence of can you do the job? Because if they can't speak freely to each other anymore, well then I think it is time for one or other to move on. And in this instance, the minister was making sure that it was going to be the other that that was moved on very, very quickly. Um, and then we got this this whole palaver. But look, Catherine Martin, I think, badly damaged, but... You know, Eamon Ryan she's isn't going to touch her. Yeah. The, the coalitions, the coalition governments are not in a position of sacrificing mm. ministers this close to elections. So uh, we don't know what's happening at the meeting at the moment, if indeed that meeting has succeeded in taking place because of the, the, the snow. Yes, well, but, we know they're not great at doing phone calls or Teams or <laughs> Zoom based on last week. It'll be face so. to face. So uh, then, Shane, who's to replace uh, Shuni Rala? I mean, what sort of individual do we need? I suppose the first thing is that the, the Tanisha has said that, you know, they want to get this sorted as quickly as possible. They want Cabinet to deal with it next week. Um, but you have to have a list of candidates. Absolutely. And I suppose, you know, the, the, there's no two ways about it. What Kevin has said, that certainly doesn't help in trying to recruit someone if that's the, you know, the manner in which business is going to be done and someone is effectively thrown under the bus live on air and you want to try and get a replacement. But there are extremely talented people there in the media world um, that would be potentially lined up to try and, and look at this and, and work. And, and as I said, this is an attractive proposition, despite all the negative news, despite all of the, the bad publicity. Of course, people in the media industry and in the professional industry would want to go in and actually try and work and make sure you put RT back on a solid footing and see the, the, the state broadcaster uh, resume the role that they're doing. There was a time when RT was up there making money and living within its means and no losses. Advertising was burgeoning. Licence fees were, by and large, being paid. 
when being chair of RT was actually a very interesting job with add kudos to the CV oh, and all the rest. Open every door in yeah. Dublin City yeah. and every politician's door and yeah. it, it, mm-hmm. it's a great... Given the parlous state that RT is in at the moment, it might be a stain on your CV. It wouldn't be... Gra- well, it's high risk, if nothing else, because in fairness, Shuni Rahala thought she was the person that Shane is just describing in terms of the clean-up and yeah. look what it's done to her reputation now. So it's a high risk to take that Danny, job. Mm-hmm. What sort of person? Well, I think that uh, very confident, full of gumption, um, you know, and maybe that's what you need. Someone who uh, is going in fully aware of the fray that they're going into. Not that I think Shun wasn't aware. And I think actually it was a great disappointment to lose her because I don't think she was in it for personal gain. Mm. I think she was in it because she genuinely well, 31 grand, uh, you know, and a free copy of the RT guide mm-hmm. is not exactly... And she was you. waving the money as well. Yeah, 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 she was in it for the right but, reasons. But that's the temptation that is mm. being dangled in front of somebody uh, and then possibly damaging your reputation. So you wonder what kind of a creature will they uh, employ? Will they take someone out of a department, for example? Well, the other question... Retiring, you know. Yeah, if you look at what's going on in the FAI and the search for the perfect Ireland manager, the problem that the government has here is that they've effectively set themselves a deadline now of next Tuesday. They have to get somebody in here. So I'm sure they have, have a John list. John O'Shea, though, an, well, an acting um, chair. Get us through this could, period. Could be yourself, Pat. Uh, no, I, I served <laughs> on the authority many years ago and... Uh, it was a very good authority with Jim Cullerton as chair and Vincent Finn was the director general and they ran a very good ship because they kind of, between them, they tic-tacked all the time and they delivered, uh, you know, what they proposed was the way forward. They allowed us to vent our spleen and then we all agreed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you need that kind of harmonious, really, you know, not harmonious that everyone's kumbaya, mm. but like people getting on, there's a, a slate that people can talk about, that you can hash things out behind mm. closed doors, in front of closed doors. Um, and like that takes time to build that kind of rapport. You said what kind of creature. There are people who want to do that job. And in fairness to Kevin Backhurst, you know, he is a difficult job, but he's going in and he's relishing mm-hmm. actually trying to put in place the processes that are needed to actually reform. So there are going to be people that really want to go in and do that. Um, one of the most entertaining pieces of, of your committee proceedings, uh, after we had all the revelations about uh, not wanting to receive a letter and the implications of all of that, was Deputy Fitzpatrick uh, asking about why, and I wish I had the clip to play our listeners because it was hugely entertaining, why you'd be in touch with a part-time person who's only earning 31 grand a year instead of being in touch with the Director General who earns hundreds of thousands a year and he couldn't understand that. And the Minister was supposed to say, look, my relationship under the law is with the Chairman, not with executives in RT. But Deputy Fitzpatrick didn't quite understand that. And I'm wondering, how long has he been on the media committee and how much no, does he know about anything? He, that's, that's a fair point, Pat. But equally so, though, it goes to show the archaic nature of how we do business maybe within government departments and within maybe RT as well. That but if, would no, let you me make want the point. a minister picking up the no. phone to an executive uh, yeah. who's effectively an editor? Kevin Backers is the editor-in-chief. Yeah. Would you want the minister actually picking up the phone to the editor-in-chief and saying, I don't want you to do X, Y or Z on that current affairs programme? No, no, absolutely no. But here's the point. Uh, Catherine Martin summoned Shuna Rahlik and Kevin Backhurst to that meeting last Monday week. So they were both in the room together. If Kevin Backhurst knew that the chair of his organisation was giving wrong information to, uh, or to Catherine Martin and you have this archaic nature that only the chair can commute, which in the real world that doesn't happen. But even if we accept that, he could have taken her out of the room, said to her, 
Shuan, that's not right information that you're giving to the Minister and I suggest that you actually rectify it there and then. Well, at least you said take it out of the room because some of the people have been suggesting Mm. that he should have said, excuse me, Chair, uh, you've just misled the Minister in a nicer, possibly polite way he would have said it. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that it would, if it happens at all, it happens outside the door and say, by the way, Chair... You've just uh, said something to the minister that's not quite true. But when the meeting was over, why didn't he do that? Why did it take to then? And, and we actually had a, a repeat of the scenario then on the following Wednesday. And it was only four days later on the Thursday that it was eventually rectified. I mean, that evening, Kevin Backhurst issued an email to all of us in the media committee and he spoke extensively in that email to us about how well the meeting had went, how transparent it was, and that he was confident that all the proper processes and procedures had been put in place. So not only did he not actually rectify the situation, he doubled down and sent us all around an email saying it went great and it was all transparent. So there are issues here for Kevin as well, quite frankly, well, Pat, in respect of this meeting. Right. I mean, you said he's going to do a great job and he's enthusiastic no about doing it. And, and, and then you're saying, he, well, he's got questions to answer. He does, because, I mean, mm-hmm. there, was, there was a very serious uh, slip-up on that particular day that eventually cost Shuna Rahalig her job. I wonder... Like, I, I the think, other Kevin. <laughs> I think I, you're right, Pat, in the first instance. Not too many people listening would make a show of their boss in front of their boss's yeah. boss. So I, I think that is true. I'm not sure that Kevin Backers or Shuni Rahala realised that this was the big deal that Catherine Martin made it to that be. It made it to be because these payouts have been known about. This is uh, this goes back to my point about the relationship. Like we all knew over time, these payouts. There's a conspiracy here, I think, that has been built up that didn't really exist. So Shuni Rahala corrected the mistake. I know what you're saying, Shane. It took four days to to get to that point. But I'm not sure that she realised it was quite the urgent thing. And we've only heard Catherine Martin's version of those meetings. There were fairly and direct questions, though, Kevin. Like, you know, if we, if we made errors like that in the political world, you'll haul us over the coals and say we were idiots for not understanding the question or getting it wrong. And equally so, she was asked a very direct question twice, not I accept once, that, but we've know? only heard one version of those meetings. We haven't heard... Absolutely. We haven't heard Tierney yeah, Rallo or Kevin Backer's yeah. version I of those. I mean, we, we don't always take politicians to task. I mean, Richard Boyd Barrett talked about uh, golden showers <laughs> oh, <no>, <laughs> given to people on the way... We've already been snowed on today, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> enough. And we haven't taken Richard to task. We just gently enjoyed uh, the, the slight error. And in fair... In fairness to him, he quickly recovered and said showers of gold were given up the way out. <laughs> anyway, uh, let us move on to the most serious matter, really, and that is what is going on in Gaza. And the good news, I suppose, is that the European Commission has decided to allocate an additional $68 million, uh, to support the Palestinian uh, population. Uh, it comes in addition to $82 million of aid to be implemented through UNRWA, in 2024, so the total will be 150 million, and 50 million of that is going to UNRWA next week. So that's the good news, but it's against the background, Kevin, of a terrible tragedy last night. Yeah, and and we don't really even know fully what happened last night because there are varying versions. Obviously, Israel is putting the blame back on on the people in Gaza, essentially themselves, for for the dozens and dozens that have been killed and. It's very hard to get the true picture of what yeah. has. Taken I mean, it place. happened in the early hours of yesterday morning when the truck convoy came in. Uh, people woke up. There's food here. There's water here. Whatever. Yeah. And they started desperately scrambling for food. It was near an Israeli checkpoint. They felt threatened. They opened fire, and then the trucks ran over people. The mob yeah. ran over their own people as they scrambled for food or to get away from the bullets. I mean, just terrible, but almost inevitable given 
well, how close to starvation people are starving and people are terrified and people are desperate and these are the things that can happen when that but I think we we I think part of the problem now with what's happening in Gaza is that we're relying so heavily on versions that we get from the Hamas led authority and we're relying on versions from Israel and we don't actually have a neutral party who can tell us really what's going on because the aid agencies aren't fully in a position to do that. It just feels like it's a continuing dehumanisation of the people, blaming them for this massacre is the only way it can be described. Blaming them for being hungry, panicked, trying to get food for their children. You and I would do anything to feed our family members if they were starving. And we've seen pictures of little children, gaunt little faces and mothers weeping over those bodies. And then, you know, we have official channels coming from uh, Israel sharing pictures of thriving markets uh, saying that this is what's happening in Gaza. Like There's also, uh, it tells us something maybe about attitudes there where the Israelis will negotiate a swap of uh, prisoners or hostages, you know, 40 hostages for 400 Palestinians. Mm. So it actually tells us something about their own attitudes to Palestinians, that one Israeli life is worth a hundred Palestinians. It also tells you probably something about the number of hostages or or prisoners that are in Israel. Mm -hmm. And that's that's depressing, you know, Pat, when you you put it like that. And as Annie quite rightly said in terms of the the ever-continuing human uh, tragedy that's that's evolving. And I often think, just looking at the story here this morning on, on, on the BBC site, in Robert McNamara's words of the fog of war, and the IDF's uh, release of, of aerial pictures or whatever and their sense of trying to put their spin in it as well. So yeah. it's um, it's depressing. All right. Well, look, uh, we will leave it there. And hopefully Joe Biden's cautious optimism that something might uh, be realised before the weekend is over. Let's hope that that comes to pass. But uh, my thanks to all of you for uh, coming in. Uh, my thanks to Kevin Doyle, Group Head of News at Media House, Executive Editor of the Irish Independent, and to Senators Shane Castles of Fianna Foyle and uh, Annie Hoey of the Labour Party. A reminder now. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.